All right, well, good morning, Bridge family. Can we celebrate something? Football is back on TV. Come on, somebody, man. That's right. Excited about that. Last night, by the way, I'm a Kentucky fan. Got to beat Florida last night. Come on, somebody. Four of us are excited about it, but I just got to get that out there. Well, hey, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. That's going to be today. And uh, hey, while you're turning there, um, I was out last week, but uh, man, um, I want to celebrate something that happened in our church's life. Um, we believe very deeply that the advance of the gospel across the centuries is not just, it's, it's not just like a sprint, it's like a relay race, that the success of the gospel depends on how well each generation passes the baton of faith to the next generation. So last week while I was out, uh, we had like months earlier, we had chosen some young communicators, men who are gifted to teach in our church, uh, dudes in their 20s, and I'll work with them for like three months on a message and uh, last week, we let each of them preach a couple messages um, in our services, and they absolutely crushed it. And uh, right now, uh, Bridge Family, can you help me show them how behind them we are as the future of our church? Come on, man. That's right. So, so, so proud of those guys. And uh, it was just, uh, yeah, man, really incredible to see that happen. Uh, so yeah, it's going on. Well, hey, uh, real quick, uh, while you guys return to Matthew 6, there's something coming up in the life of our church I just want to make you aware of. Um, coming up on September 30th, we've got, we're going to have the largest baptism Sunday we've ever had um, in the history of the bridge. And if you're confused about this, let me just say baptism is for every Christian. The first thing that Jesus calls us to do is to follow him into baptism. And uh, man, just as kind of a gentle like uh, sort of conviction or uh, encouragement, um, if you won't follow him into a tub of water, you won't follow him to a cross. And we've had hundreds of people um, respond to the gospel and salvation. And so coming up on September 30th, we're going to have a mass baptism celebration um, that Sunday. And uh, we're going to do something we've never done before. Uh, We're going to actually just spontaneously invite people uh, to be spontaneously baptized on the spot. We're going to talk about that, what that's going to look like. It's going to be amazing. Um, But what I would say is this. Uh, What I'd say is some of you... Uh, grew up in church context. Maybe you grew up in a, a Catholic background or a type of church where you were baptized when you were one or two into a, a religion. And what I would say is there is a difference between being baptized into a religion and being baptized into the grace of Jesus. And uh, I just want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized in a meaningful way, um, honor Christ um, by doing that. And so if you could do this, if that's you, we want to be a part of helping you take that step. So on the Connect card, you'll just see this little spot where it says My Decision Today. Um, if you, you could help us tremendously, if you're interested in taking that step that day, um, just find that little spot, My Decision Today, and check I Want to Be Baptized. And then we'll reach out to you and help you kind of look, uh, figure out what that can look like that day. Uh, but Bridge Family, show up, show out September 30th. Um, that's going to be a really special day in life for our church. So if you could do that, that'd be awesome. All right. Uh, well, here's what's going on today. I'm, uh, I'm really, really excited about the new message series we're starting today. Um, title of the series is simply On the Rocks. And here's where this comes from. This is a three-week message series. And uh, what you're going to see in the Bible is that, um, is that God shows us that a lot of the work he does in our lives, not just our holiness, but our happiness, is dependent on the health and nature of the relationships in our life. And so what I've seen and what you see in the scriptures is that the devil is constantly almost like working double time to destroy the relationships that give us spiritual life. And so each week of the series, what we'll do is we're going to take like one of these foundational um, relationships and just talk about, I know this sounds really cheesy, but I really want to anchor this language in your minds for a reason as a pastor. 
Um, I want us to watch every week about uh, how that relationship can move from being on the rocks to established on the rock. I want to look at that every single week. How do we move from on the rocks to a relationship established on the rock? And so each week, uh, we'll just look at one of those relationships. So next week, uh, we'll look at what the Bible has to say about parent and child relationships, what that looks like to honor the Lord to be healthy there. Um, the last week of the series, um, we'll hit um, a relationship that most of us ignore in our culture, um, but that the Bible says is critical, and, that, and that's just the nature of friendships and Christian friendship. Um, the Bible says that the direction of your life is determined by who you walk with. And so the health of your friendships is one of the hugest things in your relationship with the Lord. So each week we'll do that. Um, this week we're uh, going to do the fun one. This week uh, we're going to talk about marriage and what the Bible uh, has to say about redemption and restoration in marriage. Um, so here's what I would say. Let me, let me do this. I need some help. I need help here. I need help in Columbia. I need help in the coffee house. Help me out really quick. Um, men, um, how many of you, when you are, wait, wait, women, let me start with the women. Women, how many of you, when you were growing up, you fantasized about the perfect wedding. It was the perfect wedding to the perfect man. You would grow up and you had cute little names for the perfect children you would someday have. You would live in your perfect little house in the perfect little neighborhood and have just you know, the perfect relationship. So how many of the women grew up fantasizing about the perfect wedding and relationship? Right here, well, let me see you. Just help me out. Coffee, how you guys are awesome. Okay, now, now, men, real talk. How many of you had a very different fantasy when you were a teenager? <laughs> Right, yeah. Hands already going up all over the place, right? You grew up, you know, teenager, you were fantasizing about getting married and having sex at least twice a day, right? That's, that's there you go. Okay, right, that's it. Now, can we do this? Everybody, men, women, everybody the same. How many of you still waiting on your dreams to come true, right? Everybody's in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. That's it. Well, man, uh, it's really interesting. It, when you look at the Bible, there is this massive emphasis um, on marriage. You may have never thought of this before. In the Bible, the Bible actually begins with a wedding between Adam and Eve. And it ends with a wedding between Jesus and his church. The entire storyline of the Bible is actually a storyline about marriage. And some of you are here, and that's a really painful spot in your life. Somewhere around 50% of marriages do not end up working out. And so what I want you to see today is I want you to see not only does God want your marriage to be full of happiness and holiness, um, he actually is willing to help make that happen. And I, I want to start like at the very foundational level with what the Bible has to say about that. So if you got your Bibles, open up to Matthew 6. We're going to start in verse 31. And uh, when I read it, you're going to go, hey, Josh, I don't understand why you read that verse. That's not a marriage verse, okay? Track with me. You'll see why, okay? So Matthew 6, pick up with me in verse 31. Jesus says, therefore, <clears throat> do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now watch this. But seek first, I want to really highlight that word, seek first the kingdom of heaven, and watch this, and his righteousness, and then watch how Jesus says this. If we do this, if we put God first and seek his kingdom first, then he says something will happen. Then, and all these things will be added to you. Okay? Now you may be going, Josh... Why did you read that? Because that's not a marriage verse. Well, actually, yes, it is. That's not just that. Jesus in this passage is talking about worry. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, the reason that you're worried is because you're trying to focus on getting a thousand different things done. And Jesus says, you don't need to focus on a thousand things. He says, there's one thing that if focused on will take care of all the other thousand things. Okay. 
Now, what he's saying here, check, check this out. He's appealing in this passage. This isn't just a worry verse. This is an everything verse. Jesus is, is appealing to a principle that runs its way through the entire Bible and applies to everything. And it's something that we could just call the principle of first. The principle of first. Now, here's what the, let me say it, and then let me show, you to, show it to you in the Bible. The principle of first in the Bible says this. It says, when we put God first, everything in our lives tends towards order. But when we don't put God first, everything in our lives tends towards chaos. That's always true. Now, Jesus, in this passage, he appeals to the principle of first for this solution here. Now, if you're not tracking, you're like, man, Josh, where is that in the Bible? It's actually everywhere in the Bible. Uh, give me a couple examples. Do you guys remember in the Old Testament, God commands his people to take a Sabbath day, set, set aside one day a week where you don't work. Now, watch this. What God was saying is, if you'll give me the first day of the week, then I will multiply your efforts so that you get more done with me in six days than you would without me in seven. See that principle first, okay? I'll give you another one. When God commands the tithe, he says, return to me the first part of your income. And you remember what God promises. He says, if you return to me the first part of your income, then I'll multiply your resources and you're gonna discover that you can get more done with God and 90% of your income than you can with just you and 100%. Principle first. Okay, uh, I'll give you another one. Do you guys remember uh, what was the very first one of the Ten Commandments? God said, here's what he said. He said, you shall have no other gods, watch this, before me. Again, it's the principle of first. He's saying, I want to be first in your life. I want to be first in your budget, your schedule. I want to be first in your heart. Now, here's my problem today. i got to blast before I can build, okay? Here's my problem. There are a lot of Christians who they think this. They think, they say things like this. They think, man... As a Christian, my family or my marriage is my first priority. And they think by saying that, that they're actually saying something very Christian when when they're actually not. In fact, uh, let me give you a little thesis and let me explain this. Actually, what the Bible teaches is that not only are your marriage and family not supposed to be your first priority, if you make your marriage and family your first priority, not only will you ruin your relationship with God, you will ruin your relationship with your marriage and family. Okay, now let me, that's a lot, I said a lot, now let me unpack that, okay? Have you ever noticed how often in the New Testament, Jesus is correcting the idea that your family is supposed to come first? Have you ever noticed that? I'll give give you a couple examples. You guys remember in Luke 11, there's one time Jesus is preaching just like this, and someone in the crowd was so moved by Jesus preaching that she just spontaneously shouted out while Jesus was preaching, blessed was the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed, Okay. Now, let me say this. I love when you guys shout back at me when I'm preaching. I love, amen, you know, preach, pastor, you know, keep going, come on, you know, whatever it is. Please don't shout, blessed are the breasts at which you nursed, okay? That's creepy, okay? Don't don't do that. That's really creepy. But she does that, and you remember what Jesus said. Jesus corrects the woman, and what he says is, he says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and do it. You know, you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying the highest blessing in your life isn't your family, you know, who nursed you when you were growing up. He said the highest blessing in your life is hearing and doing the word. Principle of first. I'll give you another one. Do you guys remember in Mark 12? There's one, watch this. There's one time where a group of religious leaders named Sadducees who do not believe that there is a resurrection, which is why they're so sad, you see? You see that? Okay, I got to get that in. Never gets old. They come to Jesus and uh, they give Jesus a word problem. Okay, and here, watch this. They get here's their little word problem for Jesus. They say, "Jesus, teacher, 
Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, here's their word problem. Listen really close. Say, word problem, Jesus. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife. When he died, he left no offspring. The second took her. He died, no offspring. The third, likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. Now, Jesus, trick question. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be for the seven had her as a wife? Now, I know this sounds like the lead into a Mormon joke. It's not. That's not what this is. (laughs) What it is is Jesus responds to this question. (laughs) I just really wanted to get that in. That was all week. Jesus responds to this question. Here's how he responds to the question. He says to them, you are wrong, knowing neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither, listen, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Did you know that Jesus teaches that in heaven, there will be no marriage at all? Do you know, you know why? Because God is ultimate and not marriage. God is ultimate and not family. God is in fact so ultimate that you can be satisfied with him, but without a marriage and family. Okay, you see this, I'll give you one last one. And this is the one that's hardest for people to understand especially Christians in our culture. You guys remember in Luke 14, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and listen to this language and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, if you're anything like me, the first time I read that passage, I was like, what is Jesus saying? I gotta hate my parents and hate my wife. What in the world does that mean? Okay, I'll give you a little example of this. Years ago, when Jan and I had been married for five years, we had one dog. We still have a dog named Boomer, the Boomer Esiason Bengals quarterback. That's where I named him. Come on, man. And, uh, and then five years in, we wanted to get a second dog. We didn't have kids trying to fill the void, right? So we tried to get a second dog. So for Christmas, I got Jana a little dog named Jack. Let me introduce you to Jack. This is a picture of Jack. He's a cute little, right? He's cute, right? Got him in the dryer there just for perspective. I want you to see how big he is. He was about as big as a sock. This was Jack on, uh, on Christmas morning. That's a little Jack. Cute dog, right? The, uh, now, Jack was awesome. We fell in love with Jack really, really fast. Uh, two problems with Jack. Uh, one, he had some urinary tract problems so that every time you touched Jack, urinated. Just... <laughs> You just had to touch him. He was like a squeeze toy. You just touched him and just, you know, and that's, that's a problem. <laughs> Let me just tell you, that's a problem, okay? The other problem with Jack was right after we got him, we adopted our first daughter, Eliana. Brought home Eliana and Jack was immediately not okay with somebody else being in his territory. So brought home Eliana, little infant Eliana, Jack snarling at her, growling at her, barking at her. And we thought, well, eventually, like, this will change, right? You know, he'll become accustomed to Eliana and, and cozy up to her, and that did not happen. In fact, the longer she was home, the more and more aggressive Jack became. Until one day, uh, right before Eliana turned one, Jack snapped at and bit Eliana, my one-year-old. Now, when Jack did that, uh, I did two things. First, I kicked him, okay? <laughs> Number two, I immediately picked up the phone, and I started trying to find animal shelters that would take Jack off of our hands and get him out of our house. Um, What I discovered after calling three of them is that animal shelters, rescue shelters, will not take a dog that has bitten a child. Okay, So then I had a decision, and I made a decision. What I immediately did is I walked over to our kitchen. I opened a drawer. I got out a very long, sharp knife. 
I went into the living room and I grabbed Jack. I walked out into our backyard, took Jack behind our shed, held him up. I'm just kidding. I didn't do this. I was talking to him. I did not do this. But I really, here's what I really did do. I, I, I was going to keep going until I could see how long. Here's what I really did do, okay? I had you. I had you. I really did uh, immediately drive Jack over to the, uh, the veterinary clinic and I put Jack down. Now, I, that's going to result in some emails. I'm totally okay with that. I would make that decision a thousand times over. Now, do you know why? Now, some of you may hear that and you may go, man, Josh, why did you hate your dog so much that you were willing to kill it? But watch this. We didn't hate that dog. In fact, we loved that dog. But in comparison to my love for my children, my love for that dog looked like hate. That's what Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 14. He's saying, love your wife, love your family, absolutely. But in comparison to your love for me, your love for them needs to look like hate. Now, you may be hearing this and going, well, John, this is not super helping my marriage, bro. You know, help me out. Uh, Here's what I'm driving at. I I need you to understand this. This is actually the most important thing that I can say for your marriage. Because watch this. Your marriage is not your first priority in your life. And if you make it your first priority in your life, you will not only ruin your relationship with God, you will ruin your relationship with your spouse. You need to, now, if that's not making any sense, let me help you understand why that's true. Okay? Now, I just said it. Let me explain why that's true. Um, there is a myth in our culture that is the exact opposite of what the Bible says that is believed almost universally, and everyone who believes it has incredible damage done to their life, not only while they're single and looking for a spouse, but when they're married and relating to a spouse. Okay, now here's the myth. I just call it the myth of the one. This is the myth, the myth of the one. Okay, now I'll I'll give an example, and I'll explain it. And you guys, uh, way back when, did you see the movie Jerry Maguire? You guys remember Jerry Maguire? Okay. Jerry Maguire, so if you've ever seen that movie, in the middle of the movie, it's uh, Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger, Christian scientist and totally normal person in an elevator. And uh, they're in there, and they see uh, there's uh, two people just making out in the elevator. And uh, as soon as the people finish making out, the guy draws back, and he, like, signs something to the girl. And, uh, and Renee Zellweger goes, ah, oh, you know. And uh, Tom Cruise is like, oh, what did he say? And she said, oh, that's so sweet. He signed, you complete me, Right? So then you fast forward to the end of the movie. And you guys remember this? Renee Zellweger is in this house with all these bitter, angry women. Tom Cruise, you know, slides in with his little briefcase and he throws it down. And he says, hello, you know, today, today should have been the best day of my life. Today was an amazing day for our new business, our new experiment. We just signed the biggest contract that we have ever signed. And it should have been the best day of my life. But it wasn't the same because you weren't with me. I couldn't hear your voice. I couldn't feel your touch. And then he looks at her and he goes, you complete me. (laughs) And Renee, you guys remember Renee? Wait, wait, I'm not done. You guys are ruining this. Remember? And then Renee Zellweger, shut up, shut up, shut up, you know? And then she says, you had me at hello. You remember that? You guys remember that, right? Now, when I was watching that in college, everybody around me was like, oh, that's so sweet. And I was like, oh, that's a pile of crap. (laughs) Right? And this is what I mean. Here's the one myth. This is the myth that everyone in our culture believes, and it will do real damage to you while you're both single and married. Here's the myth. The myth is this. There's two parts to the one myth. Number one, there is one person out there that is designed just for you. 
one person out there that is designed just for you. And two, if you find them, then it's like two pieces of a puzzle that will fit right together and it will result in completion and happiness and bliss and happily ever after, okay? Now listen, I just need to tell you this. That is not at all what the Bible teaches, okay? Do you know, if you're married, do you know how you know the person you're married to is your one? You're married to them. That's how you know that they're your one. That's what makes them your one. You're married to them. Okay? Now, if you believe this myth that there's a one person out there designed just for me, if I find him, it'll be like two puzzle pieces coming together and destiny is complete, that kind of thing. If you believe that, that will do real damage to you both while you're single and married. Now, let me speak a word to our single people, and then we land on our married people really quick. Single people, okay? Here's the damage that believing that myth will do to you while you're single. If you believe that, it will shift, that myth will shift your focus from becoming to finding while you're single. And that will do incredible amounts of damage in your life. It will shift your focus from becoming to finding. Have you ever noticed this? Have you noticed the Bible says abs- there's literally not a single verse in the Bible about how to find the person God designed for you? There's not one verse. But if you come to the Bible and ask the question, how do I become the right type of spouse? Every single verse in the Bible speaks to you. There's nothing in the Bible about finding the person. There's everything in the Bible about becoming the right person. Now, here, here, now here's how this works. Let me give you an example to our single people. When I was in college, I was disi- discipling some guys. There was a guy, uh, who's actually whose name, he shall remain nameless, who was recently saved, but he was still living like half in his old, like party, drinking, doing all, you know, uh, you know, just con- getting around a lot with girls. He was l- still living like half in that old lifestyle. One day while I was discipling him, he was talking about how he wanted to be married to a great Christian girl. I said, oh, great, man. Describe to me the kind of girl that you would like to marry someday. And he started describing, man, I want her to be a woman of the word. I want her to possess integrity. I want her to chase after God with her whole heart. I want her to be beautiful. I want her to have lived a pure life waiting on the person that she's going to marry someday. I want her to love the Bible. You know, he went on and on and on. And I just looked him right in the face and I said, hey, bro, the woman you just described would never marry you. As you, just to be really honest, as you are living your life right now, that type of girl would never be attracted to you. Now, do you guys see what I'm driving at? What the Bible teaches while you're single is that you're, if you have a desire to get married, the focus needs to be on becoming the right type of spouse. And if you become the right type of spouse, you'll attract the right type of spouse. That's how the Bible teaches this. So let me just say it in kind of a very succinct way. When you're single, the Bible's focus for you is become the person you're looking for is looking for. I know that's a little trick. Let me say it one more time. That's a mouthful. The Bible wants you to become the type of person that the type of person you're looking for is looking for. That's what the Bible wants you to do. So if you believe this myth, it'll shift your focus away from becoming and onto finding. That'll ruin everything. Now, this is a marriage sermon, so let me talk to our married people. The real lasting damage that this myth can do in your life can happen as you relate to your spouse and you're married. If you believe the myth of the one, there's one out there who will complete you and bring you happiness. What this will do is you'll enter into your marriage and you'll stay in a state of perpetual frustration with your spouse for not doing something for you that they were not designed to be able to do. That will result in one of two things in your life. Either you'll move from marriage to marriage to marriage to marriage, trying to find the person who can do that thing that you're expecting them to do, 
Or you'll get into your marriage, and about five to seven years in, you'll realize that person cannot do this for me. You'll just consign yourself to frustration and distance, and the marriage relationship will die while the marriage stays the same. Okay? That's gonna, you, and you'll just stay perpetually distant, and the relationship will grow cold. One of those two things will happen. Now, if this is not making sense, let me show you this from the Bible. Okay? Do you guys remember in John chapter 4? There's one time Jesus walks up on a mountain. There's a well at the top of the mountain. He meets a woman there. And Jesus says, uh, woman, can you give me a drink? And she says, I sure can. Now, do you guys remember this story? And Jesus says, if you drink from this well, whoever drinks from this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the living water that I can give them, that living water will well up within them and they will never thirst again. Do you guys remember this? And then the woman at the well says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I want that water. Give me that water. And then Jesus asks a very strange question. He goes, go call your husband. Go call your husband. And she goes, hey, well, hey, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus, in his prophetic ability, he looks at the woman and says, you're right in saying you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. Okay, now, the first time I read that passage, I thought, hey, wait a second, Jesus. We were talking about water, and then you asked about her husband. Why did you change the subject? Jesus did not change the subject. You know what Jesus was saying? He was saying, listen, your entire life you've had this inner thirst that you have needed somebody to quench. And he was saying to this woman, your entire life you've been expecting your husband to be able to quench that inner thirst. And because you are, watch this, and because you are trying to be sourced by something that cannot supply, because you're trying to satisfy an infinite thirst with a finite drink, You've gone from man to man to man to man, hoping they'll quench that thirst. You've been going to that well your whole life, and you're still dying of thirst. Why don't you try something different? Now, listen, some of you guys are in your marriage right now, and you have legitimate problems in your marriage. I am not saying you don't have legitimate problems in your marriage. But what might be underneath all of those problems is that you walked into your marriage expecting your spouse to do for you what only God can do for you. Let me summarize what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says about your priorities. Your spouse is not the one. Your spouse is the two. God is the one. And only when you come to God as your one can you be, are you being sourced by something that can actually supply. And only then will you be able to relate to your spouse like you need to in a healthy marriage. That's the only way. Okay? Now, if this, is, I brought, if, if this is not landing, this is a one-point sermon. This is the only thing I need you to get today. If this is not landing, I brought a visual illustration. So remember, Jesus says to this woman, you've gone to, five, you've gone to that well five times, you're still dying of thirst. Okay? Now watch this. And then he says, if you come to me, I can give you a water that will well up and flow out of you, a water of eternal life. What Jesus is saying is that your soul is like a cup. Everybody in this room. And in every relationship that you're ever in, you are in one of two postures. You are either living for filling or you are living from filling. Okay, now here's how that works. If you go into any, it's not just your marriage. If you go into any relationship with your, in your life asking that person to complete you, to erase all your insecurities, to heal you of all your wounds, to make you feel loved and accepted and validated. If you look at a human person and expect them to do that, your entire life, you will be living for filling. 
Every day you'll wake up and you'll be asking your spouse. Essentially, your life will say to your spouse, I need, I need, I need, I need more time. I need more affirmation. I need more of you. I need more love. I need more romance. I need more sex. I need more admiration. I need more service. I need, I need, I need, I need. And you're living for filling. But, But watch this. You're trying to be sourced by somebody that cannot supply that for you. Watch this. The Bible does not say... The Bible says the two shall become one. It does not say the halves shall become whole. If you walk into your marriage two half-empty people expecting the other person to fill you, when you walk into a marriage, two halves do not make a whole. Two halves make a hell. That's what happens. If you spend your entire life looking to empty people to fill you, you will die empty. See that? Now, that's what it looks like for you to live for filling. But watch this. Jesus says... If you'll just come to me, if you'll make me first, the first priority in your life, the first in your heart, the first in your emotions, the first in your allegiances, he's saying, I am the only one who, when you fail, I will always forgive you. And when you get me, I will always satisfy you. I'm the only one who can do that. Now watch this. When you do that, when you live for him first, Uh, And he says, a well of water welling up to eternal life begins to flow from you. And now you're not living for filling in all your relationships. In every human relationship, you're living from filling. I'm so full to overflowing that when you have a need, I have something to pour out for your supply. So when, when you do this, when I stand, and watch this, when I stand in my marriage and God has become my first, he's first in my heart. I'm receiving his love. I'm accepting his forgiveness. I'm being clothed with the power of his spirit. My mind is full of the truth and encouragement of God's word. And I have, I'm living for his purpose. Then all of a sudden, something is welling up in me and flowing out of me so that when Jana is hurting, I've got something that I can pour out to help her heal. When Jana sins against me and hurts me, I've received forgiveness from the Father, and I have forgiveness to pour out to her. And when you do that, that changes everything. Everything changes when you begin to live from filling instead of living for filling. And now two people are in a marriage trying to outserve each other. That's what can work. You see that? That's what can work. That's what it means. Now, let me get really practical, okay? Because this looks different for men and women. And the Bible gives us some some direction here. So I'm going to get real practical, okay? This is Ephesians 5, and watch what Ephesians 5 says. Men and women should be pouring out into the lives of their spouses. Ephesians 5.33, this is what it says. However, let each one of you, speaking to husbands, love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she, watch this, respects her husband. Now, this is really interesting. Why class, okay? Class. Pop quiz, why does the Bible say that husbands are to love their wives, but it says that wives are to respect their husbands? Does that mean that uh, that husbands don't need to respect their wives? They just need to love them. Or does that mean that wives don't need to love their husbands? They just need to respect them. Obviously not. So why the unique commands for husbands and wives? Here's why. The Bible teaches that men and women, watch this, are equals but not equivalents. They're different. What this passage is doing 
is it's showing you the respective keys to your spouse's heart. That's what this is. So let me get really practical. What are we going to pour out into our spouse's lives? So men, let me talk to the men in the room really quick. Ephesians 5 says that we need to pour out love, primarily love, into the hearts of our wives. What that means is we need to give them words of affection. They need love, so we need to pour out words of affection. Can I tell you, here's a rule that Jan and I have in our marriage that has worked very well for us. James chapter 3 says that your tongue is like a rudder. You can steer your entire marriage by using your mouth. Here's how. Here's a rule, okay? Good good rule. Every single time you think something good about your spouse, say it. That That will change your entire marriage. Every single time you think something good about your spouse, say it. Uh, to Jana, I, this is something I think Jana would attest. Josh actually does this, okay? I try to every single time, you know, I leave the house and the kids are doing great. What I'm going to do is I'm going to text Jana, babe, I am just stunned at what a wonderful mother you are. Our children, our daughters are so, so lucky to have you as a mom. Jana walks from, away from me in the house. I'm going to say, babe, the view sure is good from back here. You know, whatever. <laughs> I, if I think something good, I am going to say it, okay? Now, let me give a little tip really quick, Okay. She was in the 8 a.m., and that went great. Uh, let, me, let me give you a little tip. Men, let me give you a little tip right here. What you need to get great at doing is the opposite of what I just said. You need to get good at giving, listen to this, non-sexual affection. Now, some of you are like, what is that? I don't know what that is. Okay? Well, help me try. Let me track with you. Non-sexual affection. That means affection that is not sexual. I know you're like, huh, I don't know what that means, okay? Just try it. So non-sexual affection. I have to say this because a guy can make literally anything sexual, okay? Janice says, hey, Josh, need you to go get the tires rotated. I'd like to rotate your tires, you know? (laughs) Hey, babe, can you mow the lawn? I'll mow your lawn, you know? It's like, it's literally anything. And, you know, wives, I just need you to know this. It's like a spiritual gift. Every guy can do it. Listen, Listen to me. He's not a pervert. He's a dude. That's all that is. That's all that is, okay? So what you need to get awesome at, here's a great rule. Here's a great rule. Here's how you do this. What we're going to do is we're going to get, we're going to master this sentence. I love you because, and then you're just going to fill in the blank with something different. I love you because you are an amazing mom to, to our daughters. I love you because you work harder than anyone else I know. Babe, I love you because, I texted Jana this this week. Babe, I love you because every time I call, you just seem happy to talk to me during the day. And I just love having a spouse who is happy to talk to me. So we're going to do, we're going to master this rule, husbands. Every time we think something good, we're going to say it. And we're going to master pouring out non-sexual affection, okay? Now, last one. Here we go. For ladies, this passage says, let the wives respect their husband. There's a reason for this. Your husband's heart is designed to need respect. What that means is you're going to pour out words of affirmation to him, not necessarily primarily affection, primarily affirmation, okay? Now, some of you are like, man, here's my objection. I'll respect him when he lives a respectable life. Okay, well, very gently, let me just say this to you. That is never going to work. That will never work. What the Bible teaches is that your husband is becoming what you believe about him. And if you, use, if you use your words to give him a crown, he'll become a king. That's what the Bible teaches. Now listen, let me, let me tell you what not to do. One of the most common things I hear from, from wives in our church, I say this very gently, is they'll say things like, man, he's just not a spiritual leader. 
I wish he was a spiritual leader. If he would spiritually lead our family, I'd follow. I wish he was a spiritual leader like you, Josh. Well, hey, wait a second. You don't live with Pastor Josh. He's not, a, not all he's cracked up to be, okay? So I'll hear that all the time. Now, let me just help you understand this. If your husband hears you say he's not a spiritual leader, do you know what he's never going to want to do? Spiritually lead. Because he's already heard from you, you don't believe he has what it takes. You know this? There is a question that resonates in the heart of every single man, whether he says it out loud or not. Here's the question. Do you believe I have what it takes? That question resonates in the heart of every single man, and he's looking to you to answer that question for him. So what are you going to do? You're going to use your words to pour out words of affirmation. You're going to give him a crown and help him become a king. Now, Jana is amazing. Let me just tell you one example of this. You guys have heard me talk about some of my insecurity and fear around preaching. Jana, she's at the 8 a.m. service every single week. Every single week, she's amazing at this. Every week, what she does, as soon as the service is over, she beelines right up to my office, and no matter how awful or great the sermon was, she walks in and she says, that was amazing. That was amazing. I can't believe that God uses you to speak like that every single week. How do you do that? And every now and then, she forgets. And when she forgets, I just sit there, and no matter what she's saying, I'm thinking, come on, come on, it's time, it's time. But listen, what I figured out is if she thinks it was amazing, I don't care what any of you think. I don't care what anybody thinks, because she thought it was amazing. That's how God has designed a marriage, for a wife to crown her husband with respect. And as you do, he'll grow into respectability. Now listen, what are we going to do? We're going to make God our one. We're going to make our spouse our two. We're going to be sourced by a God who can actually supply so we can live from filling in our marriages. And husbands, what are we going to do? We're going to pour out words of affection into the lives of our wives. And wives, what are we going to do? We're going to crown our husbands with words of affirmation, pouring ourselves out for them. That's a foundation upon which we can build. Let me pray. Father, I love you, and God, I ask that what you would do right now is that your Holy Spirit would give gentle, loving conviction and help and encouragement. Father, I pray that right now a shift would be taking place in hearts that would result in conversations with held hands and tear-stained cheeks uh, tonight over dinner or tonight on the way home or tonight before we go to bed. Father, I pray uh, that brokenness and repentance might come Because where brokenness comes, breakthrough comes. And so, Father, would you please let that happen? God, I pray that you would restore what is broken right now and that your Holy Spirit would be poured out on the marriages in our church so that we could image to the world the love of Jesus Christ, the groom for his bride, the church. And so, Father, would you please empower us by the power of your Spirit to do this. Fill us with your love so that we can pour ourselves out in our relationships and our marriages. We love you. We ask for forgiveness, grace, mercy, healing, power, a new day in our marriages starting today. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ, the greatest groom who ever lived. Amen.